this episode is brought to you by my free What's Working Guide. If you want to download some tips on what is working right now in 2022 from both myself and other real-life indoor playground owners who are currently working to launch or grow their business, head to michellecaruana.com slash what's working or simply click the link in the show notes or episode description. You'll get the free tips delivered right to your inbox. Download my What's Working Guide right now. If you're in the play and party business and you want to operate with more ease and joy, all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for Small But Mighty Tips Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play or party-based business. All right, Playmakers, happy Monday. So in today's episode of the Profitable Play Podcast, we are going to be talking about holiday events. And it might seem like this information is coming out a little bit late into the holiday season, but truthfully, the YouTube video that I'm going to be playing you a clip from today has been out on my channel for over a year now. And I just feel like not enough people have seen it. And that's because I'm still seeing a ton of questions about how to price holiday events, what to include, what not to include, how to execute them, and how to make sure the experience is as positive as possible for your customers and most importantly, the kids, right? Because that's why we created these play spaces and why we host holiday events to help create and contribute to some of that holiday magic. So if you don't follow my YouTube channel yet, I linked my channel in the show notes, but a lot of people assume that all of my content on the podcast is exactly the same as my YouTube channel, when in reality, there's actually very little crossover. So sure, once in a while on the podcast, I'll play a clip of a YouTube video, and sometimes on YouTube, I'll talk about the same topic as on the podcast, but that's more the exception and not the rule. Typically, There are very different pieces of content on each channel. So head to the show notes when you're done with this. Go subscribe to my YouTube channel and make sure you're caught up on those videos because there is a goldmine of information there. And I just launched this podcast this year in 2022. So I've had my YouTube channel since 2018. So there is a lot more content there. It spans many, many years. And again, I want you to go ahead and catch up over this week and the weekend and over the holiday break if you haven't done so yet. So I'm really excited to play you this clip. If you have any follow-up questions or need any more information, my email, my contact information, my Instagram is all also linked in the show notes. I really look forward to hearing from you. And don't forget, holiday events don't just mean up until Christmas. There's still New Year's Eve events. There's still events going over holiday break. So again, I have tons of information about how to prepare for busy weeks and holiday breaks and things like that in this podcast and my YouTube channel. So feel free to use keywords and go search over there. But without further ado, here is a clip from that YouTube video about how to host the best and most profitable holiday events in your indoor playground. Today, I wanted to talk about a really important topic, which is maximizing the profitability of your holiday events. And 
really not even increasing profitability as much as increasing your ticket price by increasing your perceived value. Because I don't know about you, but when I was an indoor playground owner, I would have much rather done one or two or maybe even three really well executed premier events that were $35 or $40 a ticket um, per child, not per person. We usually didn't charge for adults, but they would be the higher ticket events than doing 15 or 20 lower ticket events. That was just how we operated as a smaller space. We weren't able to have this huge capacity like a lot of other places like convention centers or community centers like that could have. So we focused on the more premier upscale higher ticket events and that was just more enjoyable for us it was more conducive to our space and it was just more profitable for us as a business so this is going to differ from business to business but today I'm going to talk about some tips I have for increasing your perceived value and therefore increasing your ticket price and I do have a really great video all about maximizing your profits in general so not just with events, but also with retail and things like that over the holiday season. It's from last year, but it's still very relevant. I just watched it and it has so many good tips. So if after you're done watching this video, you want some more tips for the holiday season about really making that extra money that you need as we close out the year, go ahead to the description of this video. I'm going to link to that one there. But this is something that we talked about in a Playmaker Society coaching call. And if you're not a member of Play Cafe Academy or Play Cafe Academy, you can also sign up in the description of this video. But we just did a coaching call with all of the current owners. And something that's always hot on our minds is how to execute better events. And right now, because we're approaching the holidays, it's all things holiday. So regardless of what you celebrate, regardless of what type of events you're going to do at your space, these are going to be able to bridge across all of those different holidays, all of those different belief systems. All right, so my first tip of increasing the ticket price for your event by increasing the perceived value is to allow kids to get messy. Now, if you're a current indoor playground owner, this might make like your blood run cold for a second, but I promise you, parents are willing to pay a premium price for allowing them to do things in your space that they wouldn't normally be able to do at home or that parents wouldn't want them to do at home. And luckily for us as business owners, we're able to take a little bit more precautions that people at home might not necessarily have. So for example, we can cover our tables in uh, table covers. We can provide smocks. We can provide hand-washing sinks and things like that. Stuff that's generally not readily available or stuff that parents would have to take a long time to set up. So by taking that off of their hands, by allowing kids to get messy in your space rather than at home, Parents absolutely love that. And honestly, there is nothing more fun to me than watching a bunch of kids have fun with shaving cream or paint or Play-Doh or kinetic sand or something like that, that they wouldn't be able to normally experience. And even more so than that, there's really nothing better than watching the relief rush over a parent's face, knowing that they're going to get a wonderful art project or a wonderful experience for their child without having to, again, do all that prep work themselves with wrapping the table and putting the smocks out or maybe even buying a smock if that's not something that they have. Um, or clean up, clean up after. Taking that off of their hands is something that parents are definitely willing to pay for in my experience. And especially when it comes to like holiday crafts or those Pinterest crafts that you see um, where you're doing the handprints or the footprints or something like that. There's all of this pressure right now, whether it's do or undo in your opinion, to be that perfect Pinterest parent. And unfortunately in practice, it's very difficult, especially if you have multiple children 
or especially if you, again, don't have these precautionary measures set up at your house, it can be very difficult. And we still want all of these amazing keepsakes and gifts to give out, but we don't necessarily want to have them in our home. So allowing kids to get messy in your space is definitely, like I said, something parents are willing to pay for. Now, I do have a few tips about executing the strategy based on my experience. And Michelle from the Treehouse over in Albion, New York was able to give me some great tips as well. So this is kind of a conglomeration of my tips and her tips. So number one is always have a structure to your events. This is just another tip kind of wrapped into the messy tip about increasing the perceived value of your event. If it is structured, it is generally going to be more organized. Parents are going to have a better time. Kids are going to have a better time. It's going to be a better experience overall. And therefore, people are going to be more satisfied and people are willing to pay for that type of experience. So what do I mean by structured? Well, for us, what typically worked best, and we tried many, many different structures for our messy events. What worked best for us is doing the messy part right away as soon as they walked in the door with one caveat that I'll talk about in just a second. But we did the messy part right away. And this took a little bit of pre-planning on our part, right? Because we had to make sure that we communicated to parents that, hey, you can't be late to this event because we're doing the craft, whatever you're signing up for, the thing that you're paying a lot of money for, we're doing that right at the beginning. So make sure you plan ahead, get there when the doors open. We email parents this, we put it on the event page, we put it on the confirmation email when somebody signed up. We really communicated this several different times. So there was absolutely no chance that parents could miss it, but we made sure that everybody was on time. As soon as the kids walked in, we had everything set up, ready to go. We had a staff member ready to lead the activity and provide instruction. And everybody sat down, everybody put a smock on and everybody did the craft together. And something that Michelle brought up that I think is a perfect example of how this increases the perceived value is that not only are kids, we're allowed, not only are we allowing kids to get messy, we're also helping them learn other things. So we're helping them learn how to sit still and focus. We're teaching them how to participate in a group activity. We're teaching them how to follow directions. We're teaching them how to follow instructions. So step by step by step. So when we used to do more like free range events, sorry, the sun is like going down, the clouds are crazy. <laughs> but um, when we did more free range events, not only were parents kind of fumbling around, not really sure what to do, they were kind of helping the child do the craft themselves. When we kind of had that third party staff member really dictating the steps and really walking through the clear instructions as a group, everything was run more smoothly. The parents were less confused. The children were less confused. And then again, the kids are getting that extra benefit of being in almost like a mini classroom environment. So it's almost like they're paying for a class in addition to being able to participate in a craft that you're going to then take home and be able to keep forever. So after the messy part of the craft wrapped up, Everybody would end at the same time. We would immediately have all of the children clean up, wash their hands, and we would not allow anybody to enter the play area until everything was cleaned up. When we used to allow people to kind of go at their own pace, which is what I thought parents wanted at the beginning, I was like, oh, parents of toddlers aren't going to want to stick to a schedule. They're going to want to let their kids play right away and then do the craft as needed or as the kids need a break from the play area. But that was certainly not the case. I couldn't have been more wrong about that. And it also caused a lot of transference between the messy craft and our play area. So it was too hard to police when we were doing the more free range event style. It was way too hard to police people making sure their kids' hands are clean or making sure that they're not doing play craft, play craft, play craft, because that was just 
chaotic. So I've never heard somebody say, wow, I just took my kids to this amazing event. It was $40 and it was so chaotic. It was so exciting. I've never heard a single person say that. What I have heard is people say, wow, this event was so organized. It was executed so well. The staff was so knowledgeable and they were so clear in their instructions and everything was perfectly organized. I'm glad that I paid extra money to participate in that event. That I've heard people say. So my my advice is to be as structured as possible and make sure you communicate all of that ahead of time so that parents aren't surprised. Because I was afraid as a parent of little kids that the children would come into our facility and then wanna run right to the play area. But I found that as long as you have everything set up ahead of time, as long as you have a really fun activity already set up and waiting for them and you're not still setting up and getting things together as they arrive, I found that the kids were more than happy to roll up their sleeves, put on a smock and get messy before they go into the play area. So again, make sure it's structured, make sure you force everybody to clean up before entering your play area because the last thing you want is to have paint or glue or sand or anything like that in your play area. And again, make sure you tell people the schedule ahead of time so that they can plan ahead. All right, the next tip that I have is to make sure you call to attention that you're gonna be able to take home some kind of keepsake. Now, another thing that Michelle said in the coaching call that I thought was really smart is that a lot of people, because there are so many free events out there, and there is just so much noise in this type of space, especially when it comes to holiday events, that people have begun to associate the word craft with crap. And I love the way she put that because it's so true. Anytime I look at an event and I see, oh, there's going to be a free craft for the kids or, oh, a craft is included. Just based on experience, I now assume that that means it's some sort of coloring page or some sort of just um, really cheap craft from like oriental trading or the dollar store or just something that's just with construction paper or something like that. I don't think of something that's an experience. I don't think of something that's going to give my children sensory input or anything like that, or something that's going to be something that I actually want to keep, right? Anytime I hear craft included, I think, oh, great, it's something that's going to sit on my counter for a week, and then we're going to throw it out. But when you say keepsake, just by changing up the verbiage a little bit, it's really upping that perceived value, and people are willing to pay a little bit more for it. And obviously, you want to always make sure you're delivering on your promise. So if you tell people they're going to get to make a keepsake to take home, make sure you're providing premium materials. Make sure you're providing that extra experience and instruction and things like that. So some great keepsake ideas for the holidays are those handprint and footprint art. There are so many different ideas on Pinterest for this, but when done well, I think it can be really great. And again, parents are willing to pay for that not only allowing your kids to get messy, but also being able to keep that forever. So don't do it on paper. Spend a little bit of extra money to buy some canvases on Amazon. They're really not expensive. And it can just, again, up the value in people's eyes and allow you to charge a lot more for the event. A lot more than the price difference between a canvas and a piece of paper. I promise you that. So again, buy premium materials. Make sure you're delivering on your promises. And Another great idea for keepsakes are um, clay, a lot doing clay handprints. So maybe not paint, maybe you can do clay and then punch a hole in it and make it into an ornament. Or what we did previously is we had a bunch of different um, pom-poms and the crinkle paper and little trinkets and things. And we I purchased a bunch of clear ornaments on, I think it was Amazon or Oriental Trading, I can't quite remember. But we had children kind of build their own ornaments. 
And that one actually wasn't as messy. And it still provided a really great keepsake. And we allowed them to use like chalk marker on the outside to decorate the outside, write their name, write the year that it was made. And that again was a really nice keepsake. So just being really conscious of the verbiage you're using, like keepsake instead of craft, when you're creating your sales page, when you're creating your Facebook and social media events and posting on social media and things like that, because again, people are willing to pay for it. And if you also communicate that, oh, this is going to make a great gift. I know a lot of grandparents. I know a lot of caregivers. I know a lot of parents are going to want to give these sort of handmade gifts, but they don't necessarily have the time or the creativity or the will to, again, execute these at home. So use the word keepsake, use the word gift, use the word handmade, use the word thoughtful, um, because I know my parents always love handmade gifts for my kids the best. Um, especially when they're the high quality kind of keepsake, not just a drawing on paper. So making sure you call attention to the fact that these make great gifts and things like that is just going to take a lot of weight off of parent shoulders in this holiday season, which we could all use. Um, just reading my notes here so I don't miss anything. Um, but just again, using those types of words are going to uh, really help increase that perceived value. Now, the next tip that I wanted to um, share is that having any sort of photo opportunity is also going to increase the perceived value and allow you to charge more for your event. Now, what I recommend is hiring a professional photographer. Now, I know that this can be really cost prohibitive, especially if you're brand new in business, but I have definitely found ways to either find a local photographer who is just starting out, who's maybe willing to work at a bit of a discount because they know they're going to get so much exposure from this event. Now, I do not allow, I do not agree with asking people to work for free for exposure. People can't pay their bills with exposure, but you are likely going to be able to find someone who's just starting out, just building their portfolio, who is going to be a little bit cheaper, who is going to be a little bit more affordable to you than somebody who is maybe the most premier photographer in, in town. Now, are you going to get what you pay for? Yes, but a lot of times these photographs are going to be used for holiday cards. They're not going to be, you know, blown up onto big canvases being hung in people's homes. And I know for certain that I can't afford to do holiday portraits every single year. Even I just booked a mini photo session. It's like 15 minutes and it's $175. But I booked it this year because we haven't taken family Christmas photos for a, for a card in many, many years since my kids were infants, or maybe even before I had my second child who's kindergarten age now. But even that was $175. So for a $40 event, if you can provide somebody with a professional photo to use for their holiday cards, that's something that they're going to pay for every single time. Every time we did an event like this, we had it sell out extremely quickly and we had a wait list. So my recommendations for this event is, again, if you can't afford the photographer um, that's going to be like your mid-range, I would go for somebody that is just starting out or just building their portfolio or find a parent photographer who will find real monetary value in bartering with you. So if you have a regular customer or a member who you know is a photographer and know already pays you money for your services, say, hey, I'll give you a discount on a birthday party package, or I'll give you a couple months free membership, or I'll give you a gift card in exchange for uh, providing photography for this event. And, you know, you're not asking them to provide a full portrait experience for every single family, right? You're saying, listen, I'll provide a backdrop if you need me to. Backdrops are very inexpensive on Amazon. I think we got our holiday backdrop and it was very nice, 
for like $20 on Amazon. And then we just purchased one of those reusable stands for the backdrop. But I would reach out to these photographers and I would say, hey, um, we're gonna have 30 families at this event. We would love to provide one quality edited picture per family. So that would be about 30 total pictures. It's pretty reasonable to ask a photographer to barter with you with uh, for this type of event, because again, they're only doing one picture per family or maybe one to two per family. And what's great about this type of event is the photographer generally has to collect all of the people's email addresses because they have to email them their edited photo, right? So the photographer is going to see a great business asset benefit in getting this list of potential ideal customers for them, right? They're going to be able to follow up with them after the event. All of the photographers that we've worked with in the past have ended up booking several sessions from every single event they execute. So again, I just want to reiterate, I would never approach someone to work for free or to work for exposure, but there are ways to make it a little bit less cost prohibitive to you to book a photographer. And those are my tips for that. Again, you can get a really inexpensive backdrop from Amazon or something like that, or ask a photographer to provide their own backdrop, which of course you're gonna have to pay them a little bit more to provide that setup. But anytime you can provide a photo opportunity or tell them that they can have their professional holiday card photos done at your event is going to be a huge draw and people are willing to pay a premium price for that because pictures are very expensive. And this is kind of what I was alluding to when I was talking about there was one caveat to do the messy part at the beginning of the event. If you're combining a messy event with a photo opportunity event, which I don't generally recommend doing, then obviously I would do the messy part at the end of the event and tell parents like, hey, maybe bring an extra shirt or something like that for your child um, so that they don't get their nice clothes, their nice professional photo clothes dirty. But generally we would do either a photo opportunity with open play event or we would do a messy event. We generally wouldn't combine them. You can get away with it, but I just wanted to mention that little caveat. Okay, the next tip that I have is to limit your headcount. So one of the best things about indoor play spaces and doing events at indoor play spaces and things like that is they're a little bit more exclusive. They're a little bit more um, private. They're a little bit less hectic. They're a little bit less crowded. So I know that we haven't gone to a free holiday event in our area in a couple years because obviously not only are we cautious because of COVID, but I also have young children, one of whom has autism and sensory issues. So I just don't take a chance at the free events because I know they're gonna be crowded. I know there's gonna be really long lines. I know they're gonna be overstimulating and chaotic. I know that there's gonna be very little um, structure. I know that there's really no knowing how many people are going to be there for us or for even the facility, right? Because it's a free event or even these very low cost events are generally very crowded, very chaotic, very overstimulating, especially for children with special needs. But even children without any special needs or sensory issues often find difficulty in that type of environment. So by just saying like, hey, this is a ticketed event, we limit headcount, we do not overcrowd these events, we do not sell too many tickets. This is going to be a nice, relaxing opportunity to spend time with your family and just take a break from the pace. We actually played like classical music during all of our holiday parties um, and things like that. We just made sure that we let people know like, hey, we limit headcount and we're very thoughtful about it. We don't want the environment to be overstimulating. 
we are the opposite of all of those, you know, kind of community center events. And people are willing to pay for that, especially parents who either get overstimulated themselves or have children, again, that have difficulty in crowds, in very loud, chaotic, noisy, crowded environment. So by just calling attention to that, people are willing to pay more for that. And something else that Michelle said in the Playmaker Society call as well is that it also allows people to ask more questions because if there's only 30 people there, um, you know, people feel a little bit more connected to you, right? They feel like they can ask questions. And something that Michelle uh, mentioned is that her holiday events are selling out really, really well because people are able to say like, hey, do you know if Santa is vaccinated? Do you know Santa? Do you know if he's willing to wear a mask? And she personally knows the Santa that she's having at her event. Um, so she is able to answer those questions. And if you were to go to like, Dicks or Bass Pro or something like that. You can't walk up or you can't call Bass Pro and say like, hey, is Santa vaccinated, right? Because there are thousands of people in and out. They probably have 10 different Santas that they utilize. So when you have these more intimate, low-key, kind of tight-knit events, people feel a little bit more comfortable asking questions to suit their comfort level. And in turn, a lot of times they feel more comfortable participating in those types of events, especially in COVID time. So I just want to thank Michelle for providing that little insight. Um, so I think that's really important. And the same tips for a Santa or something like that goes for um, finding a photographer. So there are ways to barter or find somebody that is maybe just getting started to make it a little bit less cost prohibitive to you. But again, I found that whether we have Santa or whether we don't have Santa, again, our events always sold out around the holidays. You just have to be really strategic about how you position the event. Because I know a lot of people that are just getting started in business just can't afford a $100, excuse me, an hour Santa. A good alternative would be a write letter to Santa's event or something like that. So um, the kids can come, they can get their photo taken, the parents can check that item off their to-do list, and then the kids can write a really nice letter to Santa. Maybe you can decorate cookies. There are really great ways to involve Santa in your event without actually paying for a character even though of course character events are extremely popular and I would not sleep on the opportunities or the profitability possibilities when it comes to character events. But if it's just not in the cards this year, there are other ways to still increase again that uh, perceived value by including those types of characters without actually hiring them. And then the last thing that I wanted to mention is um, you can always include food in your events. That's always going to be a really easy and cost-effective way to increase a perceived value. So I know my kids are really food motivated. And if there's a holiday snack, if it's something that fits really nice into the theme, they're going to be so excited. And it's going to be a great way for me to kind of um, incentivize them to like, hey, you know, you have to wash your hands or else you can't have your snack or something like that. So my kids are very food motivated. So anytime there's a snack or there's a goodie or something like that, I know that it's going to be a huge hit with my kids. And you can buy these things in bulk. You can partner with a local restaurant. You can partner with a local bakery. Um, something that a lot of the play, uh, play space owners in Playmaker Society were saying is that they love doing these little holiday goodie bags or themed treats or cookie decorating or something like that. And something that we can provide as play space owners in more boutique type spaces that um, these big, huge events that have hundreds or thousands of people coming through them is we can be really thoughtful when we're creating these goodie bags or creating these treats. We have the time and we have the resources because we're charging more to make the events really aesthetically pleasing and really cohesive, which 
I know parents in my area really, really love, they love a good Instagram opportunity. And it's more exciting for the kids too. You know, if you're just handing out bags of goldfish crackers, it's not going to be as exciting as if you have a really thoughtful, well-executed holiday treat. Like if you were to partner with a local bakery to do candy cane cookies or dipped marshmallows or something like that, right? So everybody loves a nice cohesive theme and that's just another way to up the perceived value and then therefore charge more for your event is have a really nice themed treat or goodie bag that people can walk away with and take pictures of. All right, I hope you enjoyed that clip from my YouTube video. Sometimes people message me and say, you know, if you're going to play clips from your YouTube, why don't you just re-record the entire piece of content for the podcast? Because I know, especially in some of my older videos, the audio isn't quite as pristine as it is for my podcast because I use a different mic and I'm generally sitting a little bit further away. But honestly, we work smarter and not harder here. That's one of the things I preach the most on this podcast. So why would I re-record a 25-minute video when the content is already great? It was really well-received. People are already seeing results from it because, again, that video has been up for over a year. So I really want to walk the walk when it comes to what I preach. So again, smarter, not harder. Done is better than perfect. So that's why I choose to play clips from YouTube videos sometimes, especially when they're longer videos that have already gotten really great feedback. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it gave you even just one little nugget of something to implement in your first or next holiday event. And as always, if you found these tips helpful, the best way you can show support for me or for the show is to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening. It is appreciated so, so much. All right, let's have an amazing week, Playmakers.